happen in life and and your story is different than my story and it's different than the person sitting next to you but we've all had things happen in life that have diminished our esteem of ourselves they've diminished how we look at ourselves we've all had things happen that that we don't want to talk about if you bring up that topic you just get real uneasy and you try to change the subject do i have any real folks in the house this morning That there's things that you didn't want, you didn't ask for them. You didn't want them to happen to you, but things happen to you. And they've left the lasting damage upon your life. They've left a damage upon your image. They've left a damage in the way that, that, that you're, you're, you're even reluctant to, to be too close to your kids. There's some people that can't have a functional relationship with their son because they were molested when they were a kid and they're afraid that they're going to pass it on. And these are generational curses. These are things that get into the minds and once you get the Holy Ghost, unfortunately, it doesn't just clear all these things out. You still have all your baggage. Do I have any real folks in the house who will admit you have some baggage? And it's these things that, that happen to us over time. And, and your story is different than my story. Your experiences are different than my experiences. But, but these things happen and, and they leave you with, with a lack of self-worth. Even evolution itself, the concept of evolution attacks the very identity of a child of God and is something that God has created. Because it's saying that God did not create you in his image. You are not an image bearer of God. You evolved from whatever it is you evolved from. And it attacks the very core of who God created us to be. Just the concept of evolution Without anything ever happening to you, if you buy into the concept of evolution, you already have damaged your self-image. Because you're admitting that God did not create me. I'm not made in his likeness. I don't have his power. He didn't reach into the dust of the earth and form me with his hands. Which, by the way, he did. But this lack of self-worth, it, it leaves you longing for something to, to fill the void. And it opens you up to accepting things that are beneath you. To accepting relationships. You, you see people in a relationship and you look at them and they're just completely two opposites. He's got it all together. He's got the good job and she's addicted to drugs. But he's had something happen in his life where he has really low self-esteem and feels like he doesn't deserve anything better. So he settles for whatever he can get. And we see that over and over and over again in people's lives that when their, when their self-esteem and their self-image is damaged, then they accept things that are way beneath them. They should be requiring more of themselves. They should have higher expectations of themselves. They should be holding themselves to a higher standard. But there's damage that has been done that has caused them to feel like they're not worthy. So they end up in situations and they end up with addictions and they end up with problems that they are so far above. And other people from the outside looking in, you can see the potential that they have. You can see the greatness inside of them. You can see the ability and what they, the, what they could be if they would just get their act together, but they can't see it. Because their image has been damaged. And we see this from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis. We see this when, when, when the serpent comes to, to Eve. The serpent does not come to Eve and compliment Eve on, man, God sure has hooked you guys up with this whole garden. You've got everything here. You just have it made. He never speaks to the greatness. 
What he tries to do is undermine Eve's position in God and undermine her confidence in herself and undermine her, her being content with the things that she had. So he begins to speak to the things that she doesn't have. And through that, he causes doubt in her mind where she's thinking, man, I never even thought of it. I'm not like a God. I don't know good and evil. I, 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 I don't know all these, these things. And, and maybe I didn't even realize I had these insecurities. I didn't even realize I had these insufficiencies. And that's just the classic way that Satan works to break down our lives as he brings up things about you that really shouldn't matter and they don't matter. But he tries to make them big in your mind. And before we know it, Eve could have looked at him and said, well, you know what? The only reason you're called a serpent is because my husband said you're a serpent. Because he has authority and he has power and God gave him the ability to name you. Amen. And Satan never brings up all the greatness. He never brings up the fact that inside of you is the ability to reproduce and to multiply and to populate the whole earth. He tries to get her to doubt herself because if she can doubt herself, if she can lose sight of her self-worth, if she can lose her identity in Christ, then he can trip her up and he can tempt her with things that should not be a temptation to her. But because she lose sight of who she is, she'll take the things that are beneath her. She loses her identity. She loses her self-worth. So she finds herself walking willingly into sin when you don't value something you won't protect it what you don't value you won't protect if you have a car that's worth 500 bucks you're probably not putting an alarm in it and locking it every time you leave But when you drop $60,000 on that BMW, you guarantee it's going to have the best alarm system. You're going to protect it. There's some places you're not going to park it. You don't just pull up in Walmart and squeeze in that tiny little spot next to that beat-up truck. You go park at the very back because you want to protect it. When you value something, you will protect it. We see this, we see this with Jacob and Esau. Esau does not value what he has. He does not value the birthright, so he does not protect the birthright. And because he doesn't value it and he doesn't protect it, Jacob can see the value in it. Jacob can see the potential of it. Jacob can see the blessing in it. So Jacob, and this is a classic case of a brother preying on another brother's weakness. Esau comes and confesses his weakness to Jacob. He says, I'm hungry. And Jacob sees his moment. Let it never be said of any in life church that you pray on your brother instead of praying for your brother it's that moment of confessing his weakness that jacob should have said you know what you're hungry i've got something to feed you but jacob uses he knows that he doesn't value what he has he knows that he won't protect it so he uses his weakness to manipulate what he wants out of him that's what the deceiver does he knows the value that's inside of you. He knows the potential that you have. He knows the greatness that's inside of you. So when he sees the wall fall down, he knows that he can come in and he knows that he can take away your power. He can take away your blessing. He can take away your future in one moment of weakness. Because you don't value it. It's moments like Samson. Through Samson, we see a perfect picture of what the anointing is. We see a picture of the anointing. When we see Samson, 
do stuff that is completely humanly impossible. But when the anointing shows up, the anointing shows up and he can take the jawbone of an ass and he can go kill a thousand Philistines. Now the jawbone of the ass doesn't leave his hand and go kill him. He has to put the effort into it. He has to put the work into it. He has to put forth his strength to do it. So we see this perfect picture of the anointing. And when I look at Samson, I see my life in it. I know that none of y'all be real enough today to admit that you see your life in Samson, but I'll be real with you today. I see my life in Samson because I I see the struggles. I see, I, I see that at one end, God, you can move through me. But at the other end, I find myself in failures time and time and time again. And that's what the enemy used. That's what, that's what, that's what happened. And Samson's biggest problem was Samson allowed his head to get in the wrong places. Somebody say amen. You better protect your head. You better, there's some places you shouldn't let your head go. There's some places you shouldn't let your mind wander. There's some places you should never lay your head. There's some thoughts you should never let linger in your mind. Samson's destruction came because he let his head stay in the wrong place. He got his head in the wrong place. And we know that it, now, Samson was just stupid because you think after the first time when he said, well, if they come bind me with strong ropes, then they can conquer me. And Delilah puts him to sleep and they come bind him with strong ropes and he breaks up. Why are you putting your head back in her lap again, Samson? Why are you telling her your secrets? You know what she's up to. But you get your head in the wrong place. You won't think right. You get your head in the wrong place. You'll make horrible decisions. So, we find Samson getting his head shaved. And we know that his power, that his strength was associated with a covenant that he had. His strength was in his covenant. His strength was in his obedience. His strength was in his commitment. So when his head was shaved, his strength was gone. But the next thing that they did to Samson is they plucked out Samson's eyes. And now Samson no longer had the ability to look in the mirror and see himself. Samson had lost his vision. He had lost the ability to see. So what Samson had to do is Samson had to accept what other people were saying about him when you lose your vision when you lose your ability to see yourself and to see your self-image and to see your self-worth you'll start accepting what other people are saying about you because now they're not talking about how tough samson is they're talking about how weak Samson is. Now they're talking about what a joke Samson's life is. Now they're making mockery of him. They've tied Samson to a, to a grinding mill. And he's in chains. He's in fetters. And literally his day consists of walking around this mill grinding. He's gone from being strong to being weak. And it all goes back to getting his head in the wrong place, losing his identity, and not protecting, not valuing what God has placed in his life. But can I preach to some of you that, like me, have pulled a Samson? 
You got your head in the wrong place. You made mistakes. You've ended up with this low self-image. You've ended up not understanding who you are. You've ended up like Samson. You go through the daily grind of life, and you can remember what it used to be like. You remember what the presence of God felt like. You remember what the power of God felt like. You remember what it was like to go pick up the gates of the city and march up a hill just for fun, just because you could. You remember what it was like to kill the lion. You remember the strength of God, but it's all gone. And he's left with this low self-image. This man that was so great that armies of Philistines were scared of him. The Philistines now, they're all gathered together having a party. And they say, why don't you bring Samson out, the one that used to terrorize us? Why don't you bring him out? But to add insult to injury, don't send the army to go get him. Don't send a bunch of soldiers to go get him. Let's send a young lad. Just complete mockery. And Samson is blind. He can't see. Has no image left is walking away, and he gets led to this party where they're going to mock him. They're going to use him for their entertainment, and he's lost everything. He made a mistake that was crucial to his future. He's lost absolutely everything. Has anybody ever been in that position where you feel like you've lost everything? You can pinpoint the moment you knew going into it that you were risking losing everything. You knew what the end result was going to be, but the temptation was too strong, and you still did it, and you lost everything. And now you're a mockery. The same devil that used to tremble when you knelt down to pray, now he's laughing at you. You can audibly hear his voice. He ain't scared of you anymore because he feels like that you're weak and that you're anemic and there's no power left in your life. So Samson is led up there and Samson tells the lad, hey, can you lead me over to the pillars that are holding up this house? And the lad leads him over to the pillars. And if the Philistines knew what was about to happen, they would have never let the lad lead Samson over to the pillars because the Philistines forgot something. The Philistines had never read Judges chapter 16 verse number 22 if you put that up on the screen because the Philistines thought that they had cut his hair that they had got rid of his strength that they got rid of his power that they had got rid of his ability that they destroyed his future but the Bible says how be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven That may not mean to you what it means to me, but I look at that and I see a Samson that's been stripped of everything. The anointing's been stripped from him. The power's been stripped of him, and it's all his fault. But can I tell somebody today that it grows back? You might be at the lowest point of your life. You might feel like it's all gone. You might have made mistakes. You've fallen, you've fallen flat on your face, but thank God it grows back. And what we see in Samson that day is we see a picture of Jesus Christ. They were looking at Samson saying, what's Samson about to do? I'll tell you what Samson was about to do. Samson was about to reach back into the anointing. He felt something familiar that day. When he touched that pillar, his mind might have went back to that gate. And he remembered the power of God coming on him as he picked up the gate. But something came over Samson. And he said, oh Lord, could you do it just one more time? 
I'm trying to slow down and teach this, but i got to preach it like I feel it. Because when I look at Samson in this moment, I see Jesus Christ. We see Samson, and he gets right in between those two pillars. And they don't even realize it, but they're getting ready to see a picture of the cross. Samson stretches out his arm, and he experiences the cross. He experiences that place that where you've messed up, and you've made mistakes, and you failed, that you can come back to the cross. Whenever things stacked against you, you've lost your power, you've lost your authority, you can find the cross. And that's when his power came back. And just like Jesus, the Bible tells us that through his death, that Samson killed more Philistines than he ever killed through his life. A man that had faced failure, a man that had faced low self-esteem, a man that had lost his self-image, that had lost his dignity, literally brought down the house. Oh, somebody, I'll thank God right now that you can get it back. After everything that you've been through, after all the mistakes that you've made, after all the times that you messed up and failed and tripped up and knowingly sinned, somebody ought to thank God that you can get it back. Somebody ought to thank God that the anointing comes back. Somebody ought to thank God that it grows back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I can tell talking about it grows back. Some of y'all get nervous. Don't worry. This isn't for you. We may get to you when we talk about the older brother later on, but this isn't for you. This is for the people to know what it is to trip up. This is for the people to know what it is to make a mistake. This is for the people to know what it is to look at the ceiling and wonder, should I take my life? Is my life completely over? Should I just throw in the towel? Should I walk away from God? Should I give up on everything? This is for you. It grows back. So just like Eve, she loses her identity and her image. She loses sight of who she is in God. And she starts longing for these things that she doesn't have, that this temptation can promise her. We all experience that same thing. And this is really what the son has gone through. In the story that we read here in Luke chapter 15, is the son has lost sight of who he is in his father's house. The son has lost sight of the authority that he had. The son has lost sight of the future that he had. The son has lost sight of how great things were here at the father's house, and it caused him to long for something different. It caused him to long for something greater. It caused him to, it gave him an appetite for something that he hadn't experienced yet. And I just wonder if there's something different out there, if there's something that that is better for me out there. So, So the Bible tells us that the son leaves and he goes to a far land. 
And there he spends all of his inheritance. When he leaves, he asks his dad, he said, I want you to give what's owed to me for my future. And I want you to give it to me. I'm going to leave. So he leaves with his inheritance and he goes out with all this money. He blows through all this money. He spends it all on righteous living. And he ends up with absolutely nothing. He spent everything that he has. He's tried everything that you could try. He's been to all the parties you could have. Matter of fact, he was probably the one throwing them with a huge guest list of people showing up to come party with the little rich boy that has his daddy's money and doesn't know what to do with it. We all wish we had that friend. It's like, dude, buy me a Ferrari. So he gets to the place in life where he has absolutely nothing left. He goes from being somebody with a future, somebody that should have had security in his image, somebody that should have been able to say that, yeah, this is my daddy. He owns the whole farm. Matter of fact, he owns the one next door. He owns acres and acres and acres. He should have been able to have the confidence in who he was. But he opened himself up to longing for things that were beneath him. He lost sight of his self-image. He lost sight of who he was and started reaching for things that were beneath him instead of reaching for things that were above him. That's when you know you're heading in the wrong direction. When you have to bend down to get fed and you're not reaching for things that are way up above you. So he ends up with nothing. He has no one. You know, they'll party with you in the penthouse. Ain't nobody coming to the pig pen. (laughs) That's the moment when you find out who your true friends are, when you've lost it all. You have nothing to offer. And he finds himself in a position, and there's so many things in this story that we could preach, but we're going to move quickly through this. He finds himself in a position where... He's a stranger. The Bible tells us that he went to a far country. And he's a stranger in this far country. He doesn't fit in. He's at this clash of identities. This identity crisis that he's having is, I don't fit in here, but I don't know if I fit in back at my father's house either. And he's living this identity crisis. And he's not ready to commit to being a citizen here because this isn't working out too well. But the Bible tells us that he goes and joins himself up. To a citizen of that country. He's still in this identity crisis. Of I don't know if I belong here. I go to the parties and I just don't feel like I fit in. And and, and I try the drugs. And I just don't know if it's me. But I just don't know if the father's house is me either. And and there's just something in between him. That is drawing him one direction. But then drawing him back the other direction. And he doesn't know who he is. He's lost sight of who he is. A son should never be in a pig pen. This was probably the story he's telling here is probably a good little Hebrew boy. And they don't mess with pigs. He's he's somewhere that's so far beneath him because he's lost sight of who he is. He's wandered around with no identity and no self-image. And some of you know exactly what that is of 
man, I don't know if I should date her because she's so far above me. And then she's just, I don't even know what to do. I don't know where I should be. I don't know if I should work this job or, or just go bum on my parents' couch. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. It's that lack of self-image, that lack of self-worth. And the Bible tells us that he reached the point. Now, obviously, he was being mistreated because that's like the lowest servant job you could have is going and feeding the swine, and he still doesn't have enough money to get food. Because the Bible tells us that he fain would have filled his belly with husks. Now, the word fain literally means gladly. He was so low, something so far beneath him. He's gone from being a son to the lowest point of life. And he would have gladly filled his belly with husks. But no man gave unto him. He was so low, he couldn't even get the thing that he wanted that was so far beneath him. Nobody would even give him the husks. He gladly. Now I've heard people preach this up one side and down the other, talking about he's sitting there picking corn out of his teeth, thinking about the father. No, 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 no. He would have done it. He gladly would have done it. But aren't you thankful for a God? Y'all ain't hearing me today. Aren't you thankful for a God in those moments where you've gone so far, you've lost everything, you're willing to stoop to the lowest? Aren't you thankful for a God that in that moment where you gladly would have done it, he stopped it from happening? You gladly would have shot up heroin. You gladly would have tried that drug. You gladly would have slept with him or slept with her. You gladly would have committed this sin. You gladly would have robbed a bank. But God stopped you. Y'all couldn't handle the real testimonies, the raw testimonies. If people wanted to come up here and start telling about the things I was getting ready to do. I was getting ready to do this. You wouldn't believe it, but this is how low I was. I was getting ready to do it. But somehow God allowed them. Who wouldn't give a guy a husk if he's hungry? You give it to a pig, but not to him. God stopped it. Could have gone lower, but God stopped it. And it's that in that moment of desperation that there's something inside of him. Now you can believe what you want to believe, but the Bible likens the word of God unto the bread of life. And the word of God is our bread. It's our sustenance. And there was something inside of him. There was some taste buds inside of him that started rising up. And he got to thinking that, why do I want a corn husk when I can have bread at my father's house? It was the bread back at the father's house that came to his mind and saved his life. That's why I believe it's so important to get the Word of God inside of you. Because there's moments in life where nothing is going to preserve you but the Word. (laughs) 
There's those moments in life where you're about to make a mistake. You're about to make a decision that could destroy your life, but you remember a scripture that you learned in Sunday school. Out of nowhere, you're getting ready to commit a sin, and you remember the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It was the memory of the bread that preserved him. It was remembering what was served to me at the Father's house. That's what preserved him. And the Bible makes that statement that he came to himself. He had lost his identity. He had lost his self-worth. He had lost his self-image. But there was that moment, that crucial moment in life where he came to himself. He realized, I'm in this situation, and I don't have to be in this situation. I'm making these choices and these decisions, and I don't have to make these choices and decisions. He came to that point where I can't point back at my older brother and say, he's the reason I'm not there anymore. I can't point at the father and say, he's the reason. I can't point at all my friends that deserted me, but he came to himself. That self-worth started to rise back up inside of him. And he said, I will arise. There's some moments in life where if you're going to get up, it's going to be because you got up. It's not going to be because your prayer partner came and found you and picked you up. There's moments in life where if you're going to rise, it's going to be because you made the decision that I will arise. I might be in the mud. I know I stink. This is probably the hardest thing I'm ever going to do in life. But one way or another, if I have to crawl through these pigs and climb out this fence, one way or another, I will arise. There's nothing like somebody that gets that, that in their spirit that one way or another, I'm coming out of this. I know I've gone low. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've messed up. I, I love to read stories about people that go to from complete rags to riches by nothing but hard work. It's not handouts that get you up there. It's not the father coming and pulling you out of the pig pen that gets you out. It's when you make up your mind that I'm coming out of this. I know I got myself into it. I know it'd be easier to just lay here and die. But I am coming out of this. I will arise and I will go to the Father's house. I've traveled to a far country. It took me a long ways to get here. It's going to take me a long ways to get home. I burnt some bridges. I made some mistakes. But I will arise. It's amazing how our plan B's have to all run out before we turn back to God. This was a guy that lived lives of plan B's. And y'all know what I'm talking about is, man, I'm just not happy here, so I'm going to try this. 
And maybe this didn't make me happy, but man, I'll, I'll go over here and try this. And this isn't working out for me. I'll try this. And I'm not surviving here. I'll go try to join up with somebody else that's surviving. And it's just plan B after plan B after plan B after mistake after mistake after mistake. Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until he finally gets to that point where there's nowhere else to go but up. When you reach the lowest point, when you reach the, the complete bottom, that's when you have to make the decision. Of either I'm staying here and dying. Or you can do like the psalmist. And say I shall not die. But live and declare the works of the Lord. It has to be a decision that you make in your mind. It has to be something that you come to on your own. I can't preach you there today. I wish I could. But until you make up your mind that I'm coming out of this. You'll sink lower and lower and lower. But even as he's on his way out of this, back to the father's house, he's still like some of us are in this building today, if we're to be honest, that we're leaving bondage in a pig pen, expecting to go have bondage in the father's house. Because we don't understand our identity, we don't understand our value, and we don't understand what we mean to the Father. We don't understand. The Father wasn't looking for a servant to come home. The Father was looking for a son to come home. You were a son in your, when you left. You'll be a son when you come home. All right, you can make me prove it. I'll prove it to you. This is packed in three stories. This is the last of three stories. The first one is about a sheep that was lost, and he's not called something else when he comes home. He was a sheep when he left, and he was a sheep worth having a party for and rejoicing when he came home. He didn't lose his value because he was lost. He was a sheep when he left, and he was a sheep when he came home. The second story is about a lost coin. The coin wasn't worth less once it was found. If it was worth a hundred bucks when it was lost, it was worth a hundred bucks when it was found. And the economy may have even lifted it up higher. If I offer you a hundred dollars... Do you care that it was lost and then found? Pastor Caleb, if I offer you 100 bucks right now, do you care that I lost it for a few days and now it's found? You look at it and you're just like, man, I could buy some skinny jeans and a V-neck with this. <laughs> no, Pastor Caleb could turn that into like 10 grand in about a month. <laughs> but it had the same value when it was found. As it did before it was lost. So does the son. Why do we have such a hard time believing that? That when we've messed up and made mistakes. That we've lost our value in the kingdom of God. When we walked away from God. Fallen flat on our face. Completely ruined it all. That we have to come crawling back and we're worth less. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. 
He didn't die for the righteous. He didn't die for you in the moment that you were all self-righteous and looking pretty in church and living right and just caught off a 21-day fast. He died for you at the moment that you fell flat on your face. That's why Hebrews says that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was attempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He says, therefore, because he was tempted, because he can be touched, we can come boldly. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help when in the time of need. He never said you could come before the throne of grace and find help when you got it all together. He said you could come boldly in the time of need. But he's struggling. He's struggling. Life had proved to him that he was not valuable to his friends. Everybody had deserted him. He's left with nobody. He's starving. He's hit the absolute bottom. And life has proved to him that he's not valuable. Life has proved to him that he's not worth anything. His friends have proved to him that we'll be there for you in the good times, but we'll be gone when the bad times hit. Life had proved to him that nobody will be true to you. You can't believe anybody. Nobody will be faithful to you. Your father will walk out of you and never pay a penny of child support. Your mother will leave you. Your uncle will abuse you. And these things just stack up and stack up and stack up. And you're left feeling like I'm worth nothing, so I deserve nothing. So it's with this damaged self-image that he begins this journey back home. And on the way home, he's practicing this speech. Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against thee and against heaven. Make me... Oh, no, that doesn't sound right. Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against thee and against... Yeah, that'll work. Make me one of your servants. And he's like practicing, like falling down and just begging his father. What he doesn't expect is that every day that he was gone, there was a father that was looking down the road. There was a father that was saying, one day I hope my son comes back. I miss my son. I miss having him at the dinner table. I wish I knew where he was. I wish I knew what he was doing. I wish I knew if he was safe. When the son comes home, he doesn't have to go through the brother. Matter of fact, the next thing that we see, we see this father that's looking for the son. And when the, the second the father sees the son coming, the father runs to him. Because, now you can believe what you want to believe. I can't prove this is right, but you can't prove that I'm wrong, so just listen to me. He goes running to him because he does not want the brother to get to him first. He doesn't want one of the servants getting to him first. He doesn't want anybody else getting to him. The first thing I want the son to see when he comes back is I want him to experience the love of a father that's been waiting on him. I don't want him to experience an older brother. 
that wants to complain about, hey, while you were gone, I had to pick up all this work. You're out spending dad's money. And who do you think you are? Coming? He doesn't want him to experience that. He wants him to experience a father's love. So the father runs to him. If the musicians would come as we're closing today. The father runs to him. Not like he expected. There's probably that fear when he sees the father coming. Like dad is ticked off. There was those moments when I'd see my dad coming towards me. I'm like, yep, there's a beating in my near future. But the father runs. The father cannot wait. You know, all that repentance and reconciliation really is, the whole point of this story, is a son getting back on talking terms with the father. That's really all this is about. There's no religious agenda. There's no hoops he had to jump through. The whole moral and point of the story was a father and a son getting back on talking terms. And the father had to prove that as bad as you want this, I want it even worse. You're walking. I'm running. You're coming to me. And it's like God when he says that if you'll draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. God sees those moments. God sees the frustrations. God sees how hard it is for you to approach him. God sees. He sees these insecurities. God sees these insufficiencies. God sees the people that have failed you. God sees the people that have left you wounded. God sees the people that have left you broken. God sees the people that have verbally abused you. God sees the people that have sexually assaulted you. God sees the people that have misused you. God sees the people that have mistreated you. No doubt the father knew that while he was in the far country, he probably did things that he doesn't want to talk about. While he was gone away from me, he probably did things that he can't even look me in the eye when I first go out to him. But I've got to let him know that I love him. I've got to let him know that I care. I've got to let him know that as bad as he wants this moment, I want it even worse. He doesn't realize how valuable he is to me. He doesn't realize the nights that I stayed up waiting for this. He doesn't realize. Let me tell you something today. Nowhere in this story will you ever find yourself unless you're the older brother. You are not the father. The pastor is not the father. There is one father, and that is Jesus. When he, when the prodigal comes back, when someone's gone out and made mistakes, they don't have to jump through your hoops to get back on talking terms with the father. They don't have to explain to you where they've been and what they've done. It's none of your business. The reconciliation is between a son and a father that loves him. If you allow me to create something based off my assumptions, I believe that the church is pictured as the mother. And I find it strange that nowhere is the mother mentioned in this story. The mother wasn't out there. Because when a son is gone, the mother has one job and one duty. And that is to go find a prayer closet somewhere 
and say, would you help my son and the father to get back on talking terms? Would you help them to find their way back together? Would you help them? Would you would somehow, somehow, the Bible talks about the father later when he talks about to the older brother. He said that that which is lost is now found. The word found there would, would, would be indicative of something that was being searched for. Now maybe he physically didn't go looking for him, but somehow spiritually there was something that go, was going out. There was something that was reaching out. There was something from the heartbeat of the father that was longing for that son. And I believe that there's something a mother somewhere in that house was saying, would you let the father and the son get back on talking terms? I don't want to do anything to get in between them. I don't need to ask questions. I don't need to know where he's been. All I want is my son home. I just want my son to come back. That's the position that the church needs to take when people walk away from God, when people walk away out into a far country and are living their lives and making wrong decisions. We need to find a place on our knees saying, Father, would somehow would you find a way to get back on talking terms with the son son somehow would you come home and experience the love that the father has for you but the father ran the father ran aren't you thankful for those times where you've come into the presence of God and you expected God's judgment you're doing something wrong and you expected God's judgment but mercy showed up instead We try to preach about the hounds of heaven that go nipping at backsliders' tails. And we try to preach about God coming after people. And, and do, No, no, no. David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There's goodness. There's mercy that's following you. God is reaching for you. God is reaching out to you. God wants you to come back to Him. He wants you to experience His love. The Bible tells us, that when the father gets to him the first thing the father does is he falls on him and he kisses him the next thing he does is he says I want you to bring him a ring and I want you to bring him shoes like when Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring when he was put in a place of authority and second in command in the whole world. He gave him a ring. That was a blank check. That represented power. That represented authority. That represented that I have the king's name on whatever I'm doing. This was a father giving son back his power. Giving him back. This even, this even in some cases would, 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 in, would be indicted that he was giving him his future and his inheritance. And in some cases taking away the blessing that was to the firstborn and giving it to him. It was all tied together in this ring. It was symbolic of his power. It was symbolic of his future. It was symbolic of everything that he thought he had lost. The father hugs him and gives it back to him. And then the father looks down and he says, sons, don't go barefoot. Servants, go barefoot. I can't let my son walk another step. Go quickly. Many translations use the word quickly. Go quickly and get him some shoes. Go get the ring and I want you to bring him a robe. I know he smells like pigs. I know he stinks. I know he's sweaty from a long journey, but I can't have my son not be covered. 
that covering was made available to him. Came home expecting judgment. The father falls on him, kisses him, restores power, covers him. And makes sure that everybody knows when he goes walking back up to that house. This boy ain't walking like a servant in bare feet. This boy is walking with some shoes on. We're not going in the house and picking out some shoes for you. You go get him shoes and bring them here right now. Because he's going to leave cover. And he's going to leave with shoes from this moment. If you would stand with me all across this building. The father refused to let him leave bondage to come home to bondage. The father does not want you living in this house in bondage. The father does not want you living in this house with low self-esteem, with a low self-image. The father refused to let him come back and have to earn his way back to sonship. You were a son when you left. You were a son when you come home. And one of the things that's so beautiful here is when we read about the father falling on him. This word literally means to fall upon, rush or press upon, to seize or take possession of. This is the same word. I want you to catch this. This is the same word that's used over and over in the book of Acts when the Holy Ghost fell on them. It was the Father's love. It was the Father showing up, saying, I want to seize you. I want to possess you. I want to take control of you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you deal with low self-esteem and low self-image. You've come into this place today. You're carrying things from your past. There's things that have made you doubt your self-worth. There's things that because you doubt your self-worth, you've reached for things that are beneath you. You've gotten in relationships that are beneath you. You've taken jobs that are beneath you. You've lived in a life that is beneath you. You've lived in sin when it's way beneath you. What you need today is a hug from the Father. What you need today is for the Father to fall fresh on you. You need for the Father to cover you. You need for the Father to put some shoes on your feet. You need for the Father to put some authority back into your life. You need for the Father to let you understand and realize that you are not a servant. You're not coming back bound. There's not a contract. You're not going to be tied here. If you're here, it's going to be because you understand that you're a son and you understand that you're loved. That's my invitation to you this morning. If you're questioning who you are in God, if there's things that have happened to you in your life in the past, things that have made you question and doubt yourself, things that, that when you think about them, you, 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 have to, you, have, you have to let your mind go somewhere else because it drives you crazy. It's driven you to the point where you've contemplated suicide. You've thought about ending your life because the pain was so bad. You've taken a knife and cut your wrists. You've cut your arms. You've cut yourself because you can feel the pain and then you can feel the healing because there's something inside of you that's not healing it and that's the only way that you can experience healing it is to inflict things upon yourself and there's moments in life where God is giving you success God is giving you favor and you sabotage your own success because you have to have control over the situation because of all these painful things in life that have hurt you
and that have left you with no image and no self-esteem. My invitation to you today is why don't you come forward and get a hug from the Father. Why don't you come forward today and let the Father fall on you. Why don't you come forward this morning and just lift up your arms to Him. You'll be surprised. You can crawl, you can walk, you can run, but I guarantee you that God will run faster than you can run. God will show up quicker than you can get here. Before you can reach out to Him, before you can open your mouth, you'll feel the presence of God start to wash over you. You'll feel the Father reaching down to hug you. You'll feel the Father drawing you into His presence. You'll feel the Father starting to give you things back. You'll start to feel that familiar anointing like Samson felt. There's something familiar about this. I feel my power coming back. I feel my strength coming back. Come on, somebody. Come get a hug from the Father today. between you and the Father today. Nobody else is between you and the Father. This is your relationship. You're meant in with the Father today. It's between you two. It's not about anybody else. It's not about the older brother. It's not about how far away you've gone. It's about the fact that you're here right now in this moment. It's not about your faults. It's not about your failures. It's not about your insufficiencies. It's not about your insecurities. It's about the fact that you're in a moment with the Father right now. Let the Father show His love to you today. Let the Father hug you. Let the Father restore you.
places. Let God reach into those deep places, those hurting places. Let God cover you today. Let God cover your life. Let God cover your heart. Let God cover your sins. Let God's Spirit fall on you fresh today. Because you can. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you can. 
accept his love today. Accept his love today. God loves you. God loves you. Let that be settled in your heart today. God loves you. God cares. God cares today. Sing it to him. I love you, Jesus. Because you care. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus, I love you. I love. Oh, sing it to him, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Because you care. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, because you care. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, because you care.
one of the things I love the most about the response when the son comes home is when the father looks at the service and says, go kill. He doesn't say a fatted calf. He says, go kill the fatted calf. Nobody asked him which fatted calf. They knew exactly which calf he was talking about. That was the calf that from the day the son left, he said, when my boy comes home, I'll tell you what, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know what he's done. I don't know where he's at right now. But the second he comes home, I guarantee you, we're going to pump this thing full of as much food as we can. We're going to make it as big as we can. And we're going to have a party like you've never seen before. There was no question in anybody's mind, which fatted calf is he talking about? He said, go kill the fatted calf. It's moments like this when you come in the presence of God that God says, there you are. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting every single night that you were gone. I wasn't standing there with anger. I was standing there with love preparing for this moment, waiting for you to come home. And now I'm rejoicing that you're back. I don't know if you got that or not, but that makes me happy. God is so happy to see me come home that he's ready to throw a party. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over a sinner that repents. In heaven right now, as you come back in relationship with the Father, the Father is throwing a party because He's saying, you know what? The one that you thought was too far gone, the one that you thought would never come back home, the one that everybody else gave up on, He came back. He came back. In closing today, why don't you just lift your hands all across this building and give God some real praise. Give God some real praise. If you're thankful for a God that was waiting for you. If you're thankful for a God that was looking for you. If you're thankful for a God that was preparing for your return. If you're thankful for a God that came running to you. You ought to give God some real praise in this place today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. David for that word today. Wasn't that powerful? Thank you, Jesus. The love of the Father we will never never understand. Amen. Brother Ulysses is going to come here and give us some um, closing announcements for the week, but real quickly before he does, I just want to say what an honor it is to have my beautiful mother with us today, Sister Keller. I'm so honored that she's here to spend a few days with us, and she prays for this church. And I just want you to make her feel welcome today. What a blessing it is to have her. Amen. Put your hands together for the Lord. Amen. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Our God is able. Amen. This is not the end of service. This is the beginning of much. Amen. Because there's an entire week ahead of you. Amen. And right now I come in agreement, why don't we come in agreement in Jesus' name that the word that has gone forth today is going to govern all of your dealings through the rest of this week. I don't think you heard me. Let's agree right now that the word of God that has gone forth, amen, the anointed word of God that has gone forth, at least is what I'm choosing to believe, that it will govern your dealings through the rest of this week. And the one thing that stuck out out of so much is 
it will grow back. Amen? 40 days of freedom, it's not just a good thought, but it is our statement of faith, amen, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the power of the spoken of the Word is, that there is freedom for us, amen? Come on, you got to believe it that way. you got to put your faith out like that, amen? So I am believing that it's going to grow back. Praise God, we are back here on Tuesday with corporate prayer beginning at 7 o'clock. And then our Bible study at 7.30. You don't want to miss out. Amen? And then we're back on Saturday for corporate prayer at 6 o'clock. Last announcement. You will notice inside your bulletin that beginning in November, say beginning in November, our midweek service will begin at 7 o'clock. Amen? So beginning in November, our midweek service will be from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m we will have corporate prayer at 6.30. But we hope to have you back this coming Tuesday at 7 o'clock and then at 7.30 for our Bible study. God bless you. Have a great night. If you need additional prayer, if you need to talk to someone, our prayer partners are here, our staff are here, and we want to be there for you. God bless you.